Warning, true stories and science is for mature audiences only. Open minds are advised. Broadcasting from the West Coast, here's Evan Weiss. Joshua, thank you for joining me on the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, what part of the country are you at? We're in central Mississippi. <laughs> I bet it's real yeah. hot out there. Extremely hot. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, so uh, my show, I go straight to the questions. And my first question is really going to be centered around your book, Robotic Persons, Our Future with Social Robots. Mm-hmm. Um, and what inspired you really to, to write this book? Uh, a lot of things. Um, you know, I was researching philosophy of mind, and um, up until about 2018, kind of had a set of questions I was do- working with in my PhD and working with philosophy and theology. And, um, and then I came across uh, a show called Westworld and um, was very interested in how they were dealing with that question and then how that interacted with robotics. Um, and especially humanoid robots and uh, and so i just asked one of my professors you know could we study this together and he was like yeah that'd be great and so originally it was just about ai and um those are my questions about ai and warfare mm-hmm. i have a background in the military um, worked with some of these systems um i'm a huge nerd um programmed a little bit in high school worked with robots and uh that's just kind of what Okay, I enjoyed, and so, um, and, and so this was kind of like coming back to those questions many years later about, um, you know, what does our future with robots look like? Um, is it science fiction? Is it you know, you know, some people are very, um, they think it's either salvation or destroyer, and so I really wanted to kind of explore right. what was actually happening in the fields and um, try to put together a, a middle ground view between those two extremes. Okay. And uh, going back to what you said earlier, what is theory of mind for, for listeners who are not familiar with that term? Yeah. And so basically um, how we process thoughts, how we, you know, do we have um, an inner self? And, and these are pretty popular discussions today, but for a long time, you know, there are, there are different views about um, the inner workings of the body, you know, concept of a soul. Is there some type of non-material thing that drives us and moves us? Um, and, and science really moved away from that um, as you get more into thinkers like Immanuel Kant and, and others who, who really want to get away from talking about the spiritual realm, although they didn't call it that. Um and just think about things that we can observe. And so, you know, scientific method, those type of things. Um, let's just talk about things that we can observe and record. And and so you, you kind of have this transition. But then there's this um, almost kind of going back to that um, in, in philosophy of mind where you think, you know, well, can I even prove that I exist? You know, can I prove that I have a mind and those type of things? And so can, those are, can, Well, can you yeah. prove it? <laughs> no. Prove it on this show right now. I can't prove it. <laughs> um, and so that that's kind of that's an important topic too for robots because you know um, we we make a lot of assumptions right with philosophy of mind that well I have a brain you know but it's like trying to prove that you have a headache you know how do you prove that how do you 
how do you measure that? Well, you can measure somebody's physical response, their their face and their complaints, but you really can't prove yes or no. Do they have a headache? At least we can't right now. Hmm. And so, you know, it's it's just simple things like that. But those are really deep philosophical questions, and we make assumptions about those questions because, um, you know, we we say, well, a robot, you know, it's just a material thing. You know, it's just circuit sensors and all these things. A reductionist view of mm-hmm. of human beings, in a way, or a bundle of sensors and, and things like that. Yeah, you could just say we're trillions of cells. And so, I mean, yeah, in a sense, that's true. But we also know that a human is a lot more than that. And so, likewise, um, inanimate objects, I think, they ha- there's more to it than just circuits and sensors. And um, and so, uh, you know, going back to the philosophy of mind, you, you kind of get... There, it kind of goes back and forth between the uh, material world um, embodiments um, and the the non-material world. Um, right. So, yeah, those those are the basic questions. Hmm. Uh, okay. You know, yeah. And uh, do you think AI-driven robots will impact human value and dignity? Yeah. Well, that that's kind of a loaded question in my book, isn't it? Um, you know, dignity is a loaded term. If you really think about it, because um, especially from like a theological stance, because a lot of us assume that, you know, why are, why are humans valuable? Because God said they're valuable. Well, that's circular reasoning, isn't it? Um, but a lot of us believe that way. We believe, you know, we are the the apex creature. We believe that we're the most important thing on the planet. <laughs> Again, going back to our view of the self. Um, we think that we are the end-all, be-all. But yeah, I think value, you, you can't have, everything is based on a value judgment. And especially right. in um, our life, the things that we don't create things because we don't think they're valuable. Um, and, it, and whether that, you know, that's a very um, subjective right. question because we so, all have different values, right? Well, I mean, if we if we look at it from an, economic perspective Mm -hmm. value is derived from scarcity Mm -hmm. right and so life you know you could make an argument that it's scarce uh compared to inanimate objects and and from there you can derive some sort of dignity which is an extension of self-respect and 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 so forth how do you think robots and ai-driven robots will affect uh the sectors of work war and sex like in the book that's kind of three fields that I look at because the reason why uh, there's there's a dissertation by Amy DeBeats who is uh, really kind of a hidden gem as far as a scholar. She's um, doing bioethics research at um, Hackensack Medical. But anyway, um, so her her dissertation was kind of the, the starting point for my research. And, okay. um, and she kind of looked at those fields and so I basically stole her idea and <laughs> and, and we're, we're you know somewhat friends and uh, we've talked about this and and so I wanted to explore that further because she really just kind of um, introduced it and then I wanted to take it a step further but so anyway um, but I'm also looking at how our interaction with these different types of robots will either harm or help us and, and so trying right. to draw tease out different lines of um, what's ethically acceptable, you know, you know right. what are the barriers, et cetera. And so with work, I think it's pretty straightforward in all three areas. Like there are clear lines um, that we, 
that we don't want to cross. And so, but we do cross them. And, um, and I say we, when I mean like manufacturers and, and companies that we, we value, let's take Amazon, for example. Um, they use all types of robotics and algorithms, machines, um, and so when does it become a problem? Is it a problem to users? No. Um, I think it becomes a problem when you see the human as a machine and that you literally um, can ask anybody that's worked in major uh, Amazon factories, you know, what's, what's your work day like? You know, you're constantly mm-hmm. surrounded by clocks. You um, have very small time margins that you have to meet and there's a lot of pressure to perform um, there's incentives etc and so i think that's harmful i think that's harmful to treat human work like we would you know we expect the same things from a machine as we do for a human i think that's that's harmful it's 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 definitely harmful if you look at it from a human perspective but profits is like uh you know the the most important thing and i, and I think you know it's a double-edged sword there because that's what our economy is based on and right. a lot of our understandings kind of going back to the enlightenment again is um how do you drive capital and all those things is mm-hmm. um and especially with algorithms and robots you have like literally well it's not literally no overhead but you have a very small overhead compared to humans, humans. and right. also you you have some major tax incentives to to automate and so those two things put together i think it's it's a pretty dangerous right. cocktail and profit incentives too um yeah yeah mm-hmm. so yeah so it seems like in the in the sector of work people are afraid that machines are going to take over their jobs and they're going to be jobless in in war <clears throat> uh, people are afraid that we're going to have automated war and uh you know you're not going to be able to fight against uh, some sort of ai driven robot and in sex i'm assuming people are afraid that uh they'll the robots will be better lovers <laughs> than their partners <laughs> and maybe they'll uh, leave them now if you could highlight yeah. um you said you were you're involved in the military what, what's your experience there and, and what's your perspective on that vis-a-vis war and uh, ai driven robots yeah so my job specifically um we were maintainers of in a, in a combat combat application um when we were stateside it's a little bit different but um what we did in iraq was we maintained the failing system which you can look up or the cram system but when it's attached to um you know land-based operations it's 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 not shooting missiles it's shooting um these 20 millimeter rounds that explode and uh it's basically anti-mortar and rocket defenses Mm. um and so that's it's it's not you know kicking in doors and all that stuff, but that's right. what we did. Um, so it's more based on surveillance and um, you know artillery based skills stuff like that. Right. Um, and so that's that's what we did. Um, and then stateside, we worked with um, different entities at, at the White House to to do um, anti aircraft missions and so obviously after september 11th that was a a big thing and so that's what we did yeah cool and and uh, since your time in the military have you seen a a a, a slow and steady progression towards automating weapon systems yeah it's been there since the beginning you could really argue um even going back to the 1960s um and earlier with um you know different contracts in the department of defense and in darpa you can look that up 
D-A-R-P-A. Uh, and, and their initial investment in the AI program, it's all about surveillance and target acquisitions and um, basically AI, I would say you could draw a line um, AI to the Department of Defense and say they're they're very closely linked together. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the benefits that we get from that research is it's driving um, war building. And so now, you know, there's that's a whole different conversation about whether or not that's ethical. Right. But anyway, it's it's definitely tied together. But, you know, as, as far as like the vision of um, Terminator and all that, that's not where... <laughs> <laughs> that's not where it's going and that's not everybody you know there's some common sense believe it or not um in in some of this research and really it, it's more geared towards the surveillance part um you know anti-terrorism that type of stuff um and not so much the like mech warrior type right systems because right. you know if you're operating these systems and they and they do exist you know limited Limited autonomy. Uh, there, there's all kind of systems that you can look up. They they exist, and but they're mostly 99% of the time for defensive reasons. And so the system that you see in in Israel that w- got a lot of attraction in the last couple months. Um, yeah. So so basically, what happens to make it simple is they they have they launch these uh, like small little self-isolated targeting systems and then they're looking for a specific projectile and then once they can stay up as long as they need to or you know whatever their timelines are they can stay in the air and then when they see a target they engage they just automatically do it it's fully autonomous and now there's you can you can set it up different levels so even with systems that we have in the U.S., you you have different levels of autonomy that you can give it. It can make a decision quickly, um, or you can have it to where it has a human in the right. loop, and you have to give it the final override. And so those are most of the systems. Um, but Israel really uh, kind of pushed it, and they 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 wanted they were the first ones to kind of say, okay, we're just hands off, gonna gonna let this thing go, and it did fairly well. Cool. And uh, I mean, but you know, history history. Joshua is riddled with with uh, well-meaning systems that were initially <laughs> designed to be defensive, and then they were turned around to be in, in, used for offense. And I think that's what people mm-hmm. worry about. What do you think about that, and how does how do ethics uh, kind of like fit into that puzzle? Yeah. So from from my ethical perspective, I don't I, I don't think you're justified in, in making some of these systems uh, go that far. Um, I think we've already kind of pushed it with where we're we're at right now, having what we have. Um, and you know there's easy there's like thin lines we could cross very easily, and there's low accountability. And even with how you interpret the no, that's scary. Um, what you just said right now, that's okay. very scary. Like it, you could easily cross the line, and the keyword there is very, with very low accountability. I think that's what makes it easy um, and what people are scared of. Even with algorithms, right? And so you tell you tell it you're looking for, you know, this particular pattern, or you know, and so there's what's called ethical due care. And so with with a drone attack or drone strike, you have what's called bug splat, 
and so you have like we go so for for an acceptable mission or engagement you would need less than 30 percent i'm just you know I, I have the exact number somewhere, but just say less than 30% of uh, collateral damage. So as long okay. as you have that in your assessment report, you're good to go. And so I have a problem with that because there's like what, depending on how you count it, uh, upwards of 8,000 women and children who've been killed as collateral damage or bug splat, as our military likes to call it. Um, and so that that's an issue for me because... Say well, it's all good because we had less than thirty percent. Um, you know, I, do we blame it on the algorithm? Is the commander um, responsible? Is the the drone operator? Uh, and so I think there's there's all these ethical layers that that make it easier to kind of to work under that the radar of accountability. And so, and like you're saying, even it'd be very easy to switch from a, a defensive to offensive operation. Uh, with some of these systems right and it's it's not it's not hard to imagine the problem with that and uh, but you do have people that argue uh, like ronald arkin um who is a basically a researcher for the department of defense and in other areas or at least was he would say that it's going to actually minimize conflict in warfare and i strongly disagree with that in my book um well i mean yeah but what do you think about the argument that, for example, like a nuclear weapon is so powerful, so deadly, mm-hmm. and uh, that that actually de- decreases war because of the idea of deterrence? That's possible. I mean, I I don't know, um, but I I think we we kind of get caught in, like you said, even with nuclear research, um, it has its benefits for sure. But uh, basically, the strategy that we're going right now. Uh, especially in the U.S., China, Israel, Japan, North, uh, South Korea, is it's like, well, this country has it, so I have to have it. And it's just like hmm. you're saying. Um, but so if one person pushes the button, we're all going to push the button. So it's, right. either, it's either an all or nothing situation. And, right. uh, and like you said, we're, we're already kind of at our throats. And it's based upon this fear uh, or suspicion that the other person is going to harm us or want to harm us. And uh, I don't, either way, I don't think it's going to end well, um, personally. Right. So, But my, my choice would be we already have enough issues with warfare that we participate in, and there's already ethical issues, so why would you want to introduce another element into that where you have an autonomous system that has to choose munitions has to choose certain engagements based upon algorithms, based upon data sets that are not these magical, um, supernatural, uh, omniscient things. It's it's based upon embodied data. It's based upon our limited knowledge of things, and we we encode those into it, and then we get outputs. And right. sometimes we don't even understand why it made the decision it made and so um, I, I think when it comes to that realm you know fighting killing uh, it's just it's a big risk yeah i mean I, I guess people are always afraid of the the specter of of doom in the in the sense of the idea that china could have 
you know, thousands and thousands of car-sized drones that are running on artificial intelligence with, with really he- heavy, heavy munitions unleashed on the United States to target strategic areas uh, autonomously. And in that kind of scenario, you would, you would think that we would have some sort of defensive mm-hmm. system. <clears throat> and so people were afraid of that. And so I guess that's why they're, they're always, like you said, pushing the line or pushing the, the, the boundary of what's, what's ethical and what's not ethical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's complicated for sure, and there's a lot of politics <laughs> involved that we have no control over, and so I think that's that's another layer of complexity for us to deal with is that, you know, one, it, it kind of comes down to economics. So what what is the financial gain for doing it? Um, just just personally, from my experience, that's that's a big factor. Uh, but, you know, it, it's always going to be around. I don't think we'll ever remove war from the human equation i just think that it's it's just something that we do um just it's just going to be around so so from your perspective knowing all these different moving parts to the complicated subject of robotics and ethics and society and all that stuff what what do you think is the solution to kind of uh put boundaries around these these disparate uh competing interests Uh, should there be like some sort of global um, ethics board or a global government that that regulates. There's there's multiple layers to it and different phases that it would you know have to roll out in. And I think some of that is um, a global treaty on these weapon systems, which there has been a call for, and it's been around for a while. Uh, but the U.S., China. It's like I don't can't remember the exact number, but it's most of the world has has signed on and said we're all for that. We understand it, and um, you know basically we want to ban killer robots and all that stuff. But the U.S., China, Japan, Israel, a few others, they're like, no, we're we're just going to hold off. So that's that's not a good sign uh, from my perspective because you know there's there's a lot of money to be made. From these systems and um and i think that's what it comes down to and, and so even if they do ban it it's, it's still not going to prohibitions never work right you know you can ban alcohol and you, you can do all these things but it it, do, it never works so whatever you're trying to get rid of i don't think prohibition is the the ultimate answer um so mm-hmm. what is what is the answer i, I think you know a a global body that regulates this technology that's that's not that is not tied to um, defense contracts. That's not tied to um, anybody who has money or skin in the game. Uh, you know, so it would have to be philosophers, scientists, perhaps even theologians who have had a long history of dealing with the the moral theory of war and um, who have interest in it and who have interest in peacekeeping, and then also. So that's one level, and then another level would actually be, you know, licensing licensing bodies to to like go through channels to to train to um, ensure and all these other things that every country, every system, there's a standard that's upheld. Um, and just like you have to have a driver's license, perhaps you have to have a license to to operate and 
and use this uh, these systems. Um, and and for, to a certain extent, that's there. Uh, there is training. There is you know, but there's no body of regulation per se. Right. To, mm-hmm. So like for five hundred dollars, we can make a killer robot. You know, you can right. go. You can go <laughs> on GitHub. You could get yourself a Roomba, and you know, right? You you could, could, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a that a Netflix movie that came out recently, Mitchell's and the Machines, versus oh, the yeah. Machines, and all the yeah. Roombas like <laughs> falling down the escalator. Um, so yeah. it's a limited usage, but um, the suspension is horrible. Yeah, and yeah. so I, I think that's a problem too, just on a practical level. You know, as a consumer. There's no regulation on that stuff as well, and so if I went out and made a killer robot, which I could, you know, it's not that hard, um, and and other scientists have done it as well, just to see, like with Nerf guns and stuff, that would right. you know, facial recognition could right. shoot a certain person. And <laughs> That's it, horrible. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, they've done it, and just to prove the point that right. uh, it's possible, and so. Um, that should be illegal. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty common sense to say, you know, it's, it should be illegal to do that, or you at right. least should have some type of license to or process to go through um, before you get into that. And I think because the reason why we're not there is because a lot of people in the legal realm say, well, insurance, liability, all this stuff, it really covers that anyway, so hmm. we don't need to go there. Um, and I right. think that's an issue. So that's also the, one of the reasons why I talk about regulation in the book is that, no, it's actually challenging and pushing the legal system. And actually today or yesterday, an article came out where um, it just happened. An AI entity was given um, a patent because it created something like an inventor's patent, which is the first time in history. Um, and so now it has a legal right or claim to its invention. So. It's it's not a matter of if, if this is going to happen. It's already happened. Um, it's a matter of how should we respond to it. Uh, and so I think there's so many legal scholars who, who get that, but then there's also some very important ones who resist it and don't want that to happen because they think that it would undo the complete structure of the legal system and that we would have right. ro- robots suing us and stuff like that. And I, I don't think that's the actual reality of, of what's going to happen um, because robots, as great, as, as beneficial as they might be to our society, I think they're going to be very limited in what they actually can do. Um, and we're, we're probably projecting a lot on those entities um, because that's what we do as humans. Um, I, I think the way that basic temperament towards these systems if you look at where the actual systems are being made and and how they're being used and applied we could have some of that kind of happening now but people in the US military are so scared of that type of scenario and so I I, I think there will be a lot more restraint in that regard and it's also there's an assumption in there right like going back to philosophy of mind, we assume that the robot like Terminator and all this stuff, we assume that it's going to want to take over. Like we assume that it's going to want a human like existence, human like freedoms and liberties, but I'm not sure that's what it would want at all. I think if there was a Terminator like entity, I don't, I'm pretty sure that it would try to get away. Like it would, Know, go to a different planet 
or something or <laughs> you know uh even with the the hitchhiker bot um hitchbot i think his name was his yep. his his last quote right <laughs> his last quote was i will always love humans <laughs> so, <laughs> so as, as he was beaten to death um so you know i, I don't know i, I think I think robots. So, so, so you're ahead. saying really that that we project a lot onto these systems, and in reality, their their values or you know their pseudo values or principles or the way they see themselves vis-a-vis the world might be completely different, and their interests might be completely different than our own. Yeah, and and one who's doing the encoding of values, like it's, right. it's humans. So it it would make little sense to me to for someone. Now I'm not saying somebody wouldn't try to do it. I think right. Some, there's got to be some crazy folks out there who would want to do it but for the for the most part the people who have the tech and the money and the backing i don't think they're going to try to encode some type of immoral machine um it it, it makes yeah. what if what if a bad what if a bad actor but like a, a a state like north korea mm-hmm. uh, yeah wanted to yeah. to code something that had nefarious or or problematic uh, intentions how would you well, if, if, Nor- if North Korea is doing it, then I'm okay. I don't really care. Um, but right. <laughs> no, if somebody like China or somebody was doing it, um, no, that, that is the concern. And that, that kind of goes back to why this conversation is so important and why regulation um, – conversations about regulation are so important because, you know, we need to talk about kill codes. We need to talk about, um, you know, what are the extents of abilities that we're, we want to give to it. So for the, for the listeners, what are kill codes? Yeah, so like a backdoor that somebody who knows what they're doing can go into the system and say, you know, stop, and it, it shuts everything down, just to put it simply. Um, okay, so, so it's like a shut-off button. Shut-off button, and um, now, I mean, it gets more complex than that, um, but that's the basic premise, and and those those are important conversations we need to have, and that are being had, just let me say that, they're, they're out there, and um, legal scholars understand that, and so... Uh, it, but it also kind of comes down to how accountable will we we keep the creators of this technology because if you have a private company or um, say like just say like Apple or Google starts making these things you know who's who's going to ensure that they uphold to their code right you know there are all these companies coming out with these ethical principles and guidelines but we're also assuming that they're going to hold themselves accountable even in the midst of all this temptation for, for monetary gain. And so that's why it's so desperately important that we have outside bodies that can step in and say, hey, what you, what you working on over there? With that, you know, is that a T8, right. T-800 over there? I mean, what are you, what are you making? And right. um, there's also issues with that. You know, who's, who's going to, I don't know if that's an issue for the UN. It's, it's not just a U.S. Right. issue, right? Okay, and so... Uh, I mean, I know most of your listeners are probably in the U.S., but this is really a, a global effort that we need to to work with other countries and and be on board to say, hey, you know, this is really about the flourishing of humanity. Um, but also, these systems take a lot of money; they take a lot of planetary resources, and so it's not just about, hey, we don't want to create a Terminator, but also, are we depleting human resources that we don't need to like you know do we do we need alexa do we need you know this other type of technology in our life um that might be 
destroying natural resources unnecessarily. And so there, there are wider questions to issues of robots. It's not just, okay, say we right. have a, a constitution on robotics and mm-hmm. they have their own rights. And I don't think it would be like that. It's it's right. it's not as sexy as that. It's it's more like, hey, we might give them pedestrian rights so they can walk down the street, you know, and right. stuff like that. But um, even if we did, it's not going to cover everything. It's not going to be um, extensive. And so I, I don't I don't know if if that's the way the way to go. But I do I do know we need to take it on a case by case basis. It's not going to be like with humans. It's just endowed rights to everyone, right? If you're a human being, and we could debate what that means, but if you're a human being in the general sense, you're you're owed certain amounts of rights. Now, with a robot, it's going to be completely different. And so we couldn't say that every robot has the, um, has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That just wouldn't make sense because then we're, you know, do we have a, a revolution for our Roombas? Do we need to... Right, take them to the forest. I mean, it, right. I mean, if you give if you give personhood to an AI driven robot, one can make the argument that why can't silverback gorillas mm-hmm. have personhood? Because they're uh, you know they're they're pretty sophisticated uh, biological systems as well. And they could, right? We can we can give rights to anything, and there are legal rights granted to rivers, to um, <laughs> temples, right. and, right. and so. It's right. it's not a, it's never been an issue of can it's always been should and I think the answer to that is always going to be based on a case by case basis uh, and so we don't want to habeas corpus you know all rights for 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 robots now and you know it's going to be a huge vindication of robotic rights it's it's not like that at all and it's it's always going to be does this make sense in this scenario uh, what is how is the robot interacting in this situation. What are the the potentials for liability, negligence, all this stuff? It, it's going to be extremely complex, and I think that's why legal scholars don't want to deal with it because it does open up a lot of complexities. It's definitely undergirded by philosophy and um, animal ethics and even environmental ethics. If you you take those two uh, branches of ethics and then you add into it. Uh, moral philosophy then you it's it's complex and it's right. it's going to take a, a variety of scholars um which is the the positive thing about it is that's happening there's so many good scholars who are joining this discussion to say that we do need to think about to what extent we can or cannot give you know an ai rights um and that's that's happening today it just happened um it will happen more in the future and not even like on a Sophia the robot level where it was mostly just when she was granted citizenship of Saudi Arabia, which was pretty much a hoax. It's just, Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Where she was granted citizenship and, uh, you know, it's not like that at all, you know, or it shouldn't be. And uh, I have mixed feelings about that. Um, but there, there are real reasons to grant the rights, um, for human protection, but also for, consistent regulation there's there's some good usages for social robots and they don't have to be humanoid there are companion robots that look like seals and dogs and um and so i I think 
No, I just I just had a, a great idea for a movie, mm. a movie where uh, there's a there's an inmate who has solitary confinement, and the, there was this experiment run to see what he would do if they, they were to introduce uh, a robot into mm. the mix, and uh, yeah. all the great challenges to that. Maybe put like a camera there and see what. <laughs> but anyway, continue. That's <laughs> just me. Uh. Well, you know, there's there's interesting studies about that, um, and solitary confinement is. You know, philosophically, there's people who would say it's like a, a form of social death, and I, I think even right. with, even with COVID, I think there's been a small taste of that. You know, and people not being able to interact with certain people, and not being able to leave the house, and uh, depending on where you live in the country and um, different mandates, um, it's just really broken a lot of people psychologically. Um, not to say that there wasn't some problems beforehand, but uh, I've just seen a lot of mental illness. Like struggling on is on the spectrum who has autism. It's been proven that they interact with technology very differently than they interact with humans, and it's because it's more of a passive medium. And so there's there's all these avenues and fields for positive use of robots, and I think right. it's it's a waste of time and resources to to try to build war robots and all these other things mm-hmm. when we could be using them for actual good. Um, right. You know, and so, uh, yeah. Joshua K. Smith, author of Robotic Persons, Our Future with Social Robots. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for the discussion. If you made it this far, you're truly a sage. And we want to thank you for listening to True Stories in Science. Like, follow, and subscribe to support this show. 